Well, we mentioned earlier that uh, Bray Sheet went up last night. I watched it live. You heard me discuss with Mayor Weingarten earlier how he was watching it as well with goosebumps and tears. Not believing in 70 years what the state of Israel can accomplish. In this case, a mostly volunteer effort with Space IL. We're all jealous of Jake Novak. He got to be there at Cape Canaveral live and in person and see this go up and uh, see history in the making as far as those of us who love Israel are concerned. Jake is down in Florida. Jake Novak, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thanks so much. Uh, Yeah, it really was an incredible thing. I mean, if you ever have a chance, I mean, obviously you won't have a lot of chances to see, uh, well, hopefully you'll have more (laughs) in the future, chances to see Israel, uh, you know, uh, (laughs) lunar modules getting launched. But if you ever get a chance to see one of these launches, you know, they're they're relatively open to the public. Uh, I highly recommend it. But, that, yes, to see, knowing that rocket zooming above my head, just above my head, was carrying an Israeli lunar module. I mean, that really made it extra special. It was just an incredible feeling. Yeah, I mean, like I say, the sight on the phone and the laptop was pretty cool. I can imagine what it was like, it was like in person. Uh, but there's something deeper and more significant to this one. And you're right. There's an excitement, obviously, uh, to seeing Cape Canaveral in action. But knowing that that it's Israel that's being represented, and that Israel, this young country, is is you know has advanced to this point, and that even and that this project even became significant for them, because remember this was a this started as a contest, and you know ended up as a as a majority volunteer effort. I think that's a safe assumption, right? That it was majority volunteer. Uh, uh, it was all actually privately funded. Yeah, I mean, well, it, it cost a hundred million dollars, which uh, is an incredibly cheap price for a mission like this and apparently oh yeah only about two million of that hundred million came from the israeli government so oh, yeah i mean that that's that's the correct so. um and and what was i mean you, you know we we've learned so much about this over the last few days you know won't land on the moon till april 11th and all the different things it's supposed to do on the moon before it i know the the i know it's not an accurate word to say self-destructs but you get my point when it stops working <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also how it's going to be orbiting, uh, you know, up there for quite a while, for a, for a long, long time. Are there tidbits that you learned being down there that that you know that that we don't know that we that we haven't been uh, that we haven't been told so far about this mission? Yeah, I mean, the thing, you know, this is the thing that Stan. I'm, I'm going to lead with the lead. The thing that really stood out to me was something very interesting. So, during, you know, it sounded like it was just a bunch of PR, nice sentiment. You may have heard in a bunch of the news releases or in some of the interviews where they said, well, we're really doing this in the hopes of inspiring Israeli children to get involved in science. Right. And that sounds nice. But what we found out and what I was able to find out from some of the engineers who were involved in this project uh, when I was talking to them is that that actually is a very serious goal. Now, we all think of Israel as a startup nation, as a technological wonder, and it is. It absolutely is. But there is a growing worry in Israel right now that the young generation is not as interested in technology as the current gener- as the current generation in the in the field, the current adult generation, right. there is a there's a fear of that. And one of the things that they, that helped get them a lot of the donors and a lot of the support for this was making this argument that look what the Apollo effect had in the United States. Mm-hmm. I don't care what they say in their biographies, and a lot of them do say it in their biographies. But the Apollo landings absolutely inspired Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Jeff right. Bezos, and people like them. Right. And so that so the fact that this is actually a little bit of a somewhat of a necessity, not just a, hey, let's just go to the moon kind of thing, was a new bit of, a new revelation that I, I got over the last 24, 48 hours. So it, it, it adds a little bit more of importance to the mission that I didn't know before. 
Jake Novak with us. He's down at Cape Canaveral with us every Monday, 11 a.m. with Novak Now. And obviously, he does a whole bunch of reporting, including on Twitter. You could check him out. Um, what's the official Twitter handle, sir? At Jake Jake NY. Did you have any uh, 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 revolutionary tweets about the uh, mission, about the uh, liftoff last night? Well, uh, and I did not so much about the lift. So this is one of the great things. I saw. You know, I'm here covering uh, the launch for I-24 News. It's on the cable systems I-24 News, which has a headquarters at the Jaffa Port, and we're also in New York and in France. And about four hours, four or five hours before the launch, they took us to the launch pad, right to the launch pad. If you were a credentialed media, there were about 20 or 30 of us. We got to go right onto the launch pad, and that is an amazing sight because, first of all, you see all the singed grass and, you know, every time there's a launch there, I mean, the stuff gets kind of burned there badly. So you see from the previous launches. And then we got on the launch pad, and we got a really up-close look at the rocket. And then they told us something that I thought was really symbolic, and it got me very emotional. The launch went off from launch pad 40 at the Kennedy Space Center. Right next to it are launch pads 39 and 38, and that's where all the Apollo missions lifted off, all those historic missions, Apollo 11 and, and Apollo 13, all that stuff. And we thought it was symbolic, all of us there, that this next step in moon exploration is the U.S. has not put anything on the moon in over 40 years, and Israel has done it. So it's kind of like a little bit of a passing of a baton, you know, from 38, 39 to 40. And that was something that, you know, I, I was a really yeah, – that you can't do. I mean, like I said, it's relatively easy to see one of these launches in, somewhat in person. I mean, you pay 20 bucks and you can come. But to get onto the launch pad like that, that was a real special experience, is, but I didn't get it to speak. It is really amazing. And, and it, unfortunately, as much as we discussed earlier, goosebumps and tears, uh, because we're so used to this stuff already, the goosebumps and tears are limited. It, it, it doesn't even strike us how significant this is because of how much Israel has advanced in technology and in areas like this. It's unbelievable. If you told my grandparents that the Israelis would be looked to at, you know, doing this stuff, you know, casually and leisurely at this point, they would never have believed it. Yeah, and I think it's also, it's not just ingenuity, it's just it, the self-motivation. Right. I mean, we all know that Israel has to do stuff for its defense, for its economic well-being. Uh, they, they can't wait around for, for permission to do things like this. So it's interesting, you know, this whole project started because of the Google X Prize. Google right. set up this big prize for anyone who could do this. And no one was able to do it in the, in the allotted amount of time. The X Prize uh, competition expired. But the Israelis said, well, let's keep going. Let's it's keep too, going just because we're not going to get the X Prize. It's too important, you know, and right? going to get the funding. It's just too so important it, to, to not do yeah. it. Right. Yeah, and they have to do it. And listen, anyone who studied the space program knows there's so many other technological breakthroughs that come on a tangent from, the, uh, from space exploration. I mean, so, so much of what we use now in our computers and I mean, I, you can name about a million medical and scientific um, uh, discoveries that came because of the space program here in the United States. So Israel is also hoping to reap the benefits like that. Uh, most importantly, did you find out if the JMN bumper sticker was on the flight? No, you know, it's amazing. they will not give us a, a, an itemized list. You know, it, and that was the thing I was hoping for. And then the other thing that, by, you know, by the way, that just struck me, uh, we we met an incredible. Um, aerospace expert on that bus to the launch pad who ended up being a, a guest for us and giving us some some expert uh, opinions and stuff, a guy named Dr. Ken Kramer. And he said, so we asked him, you know, hey, the weather looks good. Could anything possibly scrub this launch? And oh, by the way, how's, how fitting, how strange is it? Talk about an incredible Israeli Jewish achievement. This launch not only went off, but it went off right on time. Yeah, I know. I mean, I right would, on time. When they, st- <laughs> when they started counting down, I was shocked. <laughs> I know. I mean, really, 
clearly the Jewish people have taken a step forward for, you know, in amazing ways. Um, but anyway, he told us, he said, well, so no, the weather won't delay you anymore. The weather's great. There could be a technical problem with the rocket. Of course, we didn't have that. But then he said something that really worried me was, he said about 11 or, or 6 or 7 or 8 years ago, somebody deliberately flew a private plane into the path before a launch. Wow. Some kind of, act, some kind of activist who was trying to stop it, and he did. He, he succeeded in scrubbing a launch for, for weeks. Wow. And uh, yeah, obviously the details of that have been kept kind of quiet. And I thought to myself, this being Israel, yeah. what are the chances that somebody deciding to make some kind of a statement would do this? All and right. the fact that that didn't happen also was really a relief. But i got to tell you, I was, I was a little bit on, on the edge of my seat there for a while. What, an, one into the air. what an important point, sabotage, especially yeah. with Israel yeah. involved. And by the way, yeah. as much, I mean, people have been hearing me talk about it for the last week, but I joke about the bumper sticker. You know, this was the group that when they visited us at the beginning of this project, said to us and to a million other people, you know, if you have a specific item that you want to get to the moon, we're going to take it with us. And that's why I'm confident that the, that, that did go to the moon. But th- I, I bring this up also uh, on a serious uh, vein because, uh, as Mayor Weingarten pointed out earlier this morning, a Tanakh went to the moon, and yep. God knows how many other really significant items Israel sent with this rocket to the moon, and if you think about you know not just world history, but uh, the history of uh, uh, the literally the history of our world, you know, then th- that is extremely significant. Yeah, and I think this cancels out something else. So, for those of you who are real space buffs, you'll know that the Voyager uh, space satellite that we sent out many years ago into other galaxies, the United States, included a lot of uh, time capsule type items. Also, right, correct. And the person who gave the recorded message that they put in that time capsule in the Voyager saying something along the lines of welcome, you know, we're from Earth, was none other than the U.N. Secretary General at the time, who was Benjamin Kurt Waldheim. Oh, Kurt Waldheim, right. And I thought to myself, like, Benjamin. what if aliens are able to tell uh, just from someone's voice if someone is evil or not? Wow. <laughs> I mean, the Earth will get destroyed. Wow. So I thought to myself, so this is like, thank, maybe this will cancel it out. Some, you know, a Tanakh and some of the, you know, and, you know great uh, items of Jewish history and Jewish culture. Uh, that I think that time capsule might just cancel out, you know, whatever bad stuff can be part of the Voyager. Oh. Um, but yeah, so that's what I was kind of hoping. As you said, UN. Uh, as you started saying UN, I started thinking Netanyahu. Speaking of which, uh, which Israeli officials were with you down there witnessing this uh, this uh, launch? You know, there weren't any. Well, there one were second. From the, from no, the that's, Israeli that's, news media. That's not fair because I think we did see Ambassador Dermer on the tarmac. Am I right? Uh, he might have been there earlier uh, uh, before we got there, but I mean, they weren't there on the, uh, at, the, at the view. I think they may have also been at maybe some kind of control room at right. SpaceX or something along, along those lines. And I think that that was also by, by design, because remember, like I said, right. only a $2 million investment from the Israeli government, which even for the Israeli government is not a lot of money. Right. And I think that they really, and SpaceX and the entire space industry is really, really, you know, the Israel stuff for us is the big story. For everyone else in the space industry, the big story is that this was a privately funded mission to the moon. Right. And they are really hoping to get more of these. And the fact that Israel was able to, I mean, speaking of Jewish, uh, you know, Yiddish cup here, I mean, they, fa- they found a way to make this inexpensive. Right. They, they hitched a ride with two other satellites. <laughs> they found a way to make it cheaper. They did Uber pool to the moon. <laughs> That's right. We Uber pooled it to the moon. I mean, this is exactly what you have to do in these situations. And um, it was really, it was really a, um, it was, it, so, so to me, that was, I think, deliberate that the Israeli government wasn't so prominent. Very uh, interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. I'll tell you, the whole thing is incredible. So uh, the, the liftoff was successful, thank God. Many people saw it. You'd have to assume a lot of people were up all night in Israel, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
I think a lot of there were a lot of school children who like won contests and things like that to be at the control room in Yehud, which is just the just by the you know, Ben Gurion Airport, not far from there. Uh, so yeah, it, it was a big deal there, and uh, everyone is really happy with it. And they're still talking about it this morning, so uh, that that's that's for sure. And the NASA relationship with Israel must be much much tighter than it ever was. Yeah, well, you know the um, NASA administrator. So that's it. Sounds like a, a not a high title, but that's, that's actually the head of NASA is called that NASA administrator. Bridenstein is his name, Jeff Bridenstein. And he saw the lunar module for the Bereshit for the first time uh, six months ago. He just happened to see it. They, they gave him, I guess they gave him a tour of it in Israel. And sight unseen, you know, sight, not sight unseen, but the second he saw it, he said, oh, this is amazing. We need to get some NASA machinery on this thing. And he immediately made the agreement to put a laser array on top of the Bereshit lunar module, which will help to GPS map the moon a little bit. And also, they believe help them uh, track a better trajectory for some kind of a mission to Mars. So that was an incredible endorsement. You could tell that the Space IL people who were at the news conference the night before the launch, you could tell that was probably the, the thing they may have been most proud of, that NASA saw this and, and, and immediately put, had enough um, confidence in it to put a, you know, a major piece of machinery of their own on top of the module. Unbelievable. And that same group of Israelis must have had the most amazing sigh of relief last night when that thing went <laughs> off without a problem. Yeah, a lot of a lot of hurdles yet to clear, though. As you mentioned, it's, right. uh, it's an Omer. It's a seven-week trip right. to the moon, exactly forty-nine days. Uh, and uh, there are a lot. They for, to keep the cost down, they really don't have a lot of room for error. But I do. I really think that this was about fifty percent of the hurdles last night because the legs um, deployed at right, the right time. Obviously, the liftoff went off well. That was a big part of it. Now that it's already in that uh, that orbit, as it gets closer and closer to the Earth, and then slingshots off the Earth to get to the moon. I think it gets a little bit e- not easier, but a little bit more predictable. Um, so that so the, yeah yes, so size of relief, but there's more uh, there's more uh, nervous moments to come. Hey Jake, you don't know any of the rejected names for Brayshit, do you? No, no. I'm just really <laughs> glad they didn't call it Kohelet. That would be the most depressing. Uh, <laughs> that would be a very depressing lunar module. Like yeah, moon, sun, whatever. What do I care? Uh, you know. So yes, I'm glad they didn't call it that. <laughs> I can think of a few others that I'm glad they avoided. <laughs> frankly, although you have to admit Brayshit's a pretty good one, right? Yes, yeah, and and you know, the, for, the only people who didn't like that were these crazy Star Trek fans who remembered that Genesis was the name of the, uh, the the thing that made dead planets into living planets, but also was considered to be a weapon. It could also make a living planet into a dead. So planet. they basically so, accused the Israelis yeah. of ripping off Star Trek, huh? Yeah, they're ripping off Star Trek, and uh, which is constantly being done. Uh, so all I'm saying is, I was glad the Klingons didn't come right before the launch, demanding the Genesis weapon. That's all I can say. Uh, the Trekkies out there, I'm sure, are stepping nachas from you, Mr. Novak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I thank you. Uh, I'm glad you were down there at Cape Canaveral to witness all of this and to give us a feeling of what it was like. And uh, God bless Israel. Am Yisrael Chai. Pretty amazing, Jake, to say the least. It really is. Uh, who you know? Who would have thought this would happen? But, you know, not only does Israel, but the world needs this. Stuff. And we absolutely need yep. for our technological advancement more projects like this. Right. Well, we need that. We need Amazon in New York, right? That would be good also, right? <laughs> Yeah, I'll take it. And we I'll need and we need a big YU victory today in the Sky- Skyline Conference semifinal. I mean, I mean, Jake, travel to the moon is one thing. We need a big victory <laughs> in, the, in the in the YU men's basketball championship today. You know. Well, <laughs> as long as as long as no one's shoe disintegrates while they're making a cut on the floor like it happened to that Duke guy, I think they're going to be okay. I have a feeling they're going to come out in very very good shoes. Tonight. Hey, yeah. am I am I right that Nike did not come out with a statement after that? Am I right that they've ignored the situation? Or am I wrong about that? 
Uh, so far, I have not heard anything. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, they said no. They said no. No, they they said that they're looking into. It. They said that they're looking into. It. So so yes and no. I mean, your answer. Yeah, they have not come out with a definitive statement. But they said they're looking into it. And I am very worried they're going to try to pin this on the player. You know, they're going to say he tampered with the shoe. Uh, if I were him, I would lawyer up. <laughs> seriously. Yeah. And 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 not much worse could happen to a a mammoth shoe company, right? Not not many worse things could happen than that. I can't think of a worse – listen, thank God no one was killed. Right. But I can't think of a product disaster, PR disaster, bigger than this one because there are a million cameras on this guy's foot at the time because he's such a big player. In one of the biggest you know, games of the year. Amazing. In one of the biggest yeah. rivalries of the year, yeah. And uh, for this to happen on this on such a stage to a, to a product that everybody knows and everything I – I mean, imagine somebody, you know, in the Super Bowl – and their helmet cracked over. Right. I mean, say, well, who made that helmet? Was it right. Rydell? Was it Bike? You know, with it's unbelievable. Uh, so, but so that is why I'm worried that Nike won't do the right thing. You know, one of my listen, one of my pet projects, one of the things I'm always interested in is crisis management. And and and, and let me just say, this is this is something I found out to be true with crisis management. If you are dealing with a bad PR, ask yourself what's the what's what's the thing that you really don't want people to find out that is true. And just assume that they will find out. It's going to happen. Right. So you either get out ahead of it or you don't. And, of course, the great example of who handled that the best in the history of this country was Tylenol. Tylenol, when right. Some kook was lacing Tylenol. It wasn't their fault. Some right. kook was lacing Tylenol tablets with cyanide and people were dying. And Tylenol took full responsibility and pulled every bottle off the shelves right. 37 years ago. And no one will ever beat not only their more, and more importantly, their, 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 the more morality of what they did, which was highly, you know, which was great. But also just the smarts of it. That's why I'm 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 curious why Nike's not more upfront about this or out front about this, uh, unless they're just so cocky that they think it's not really going to affect them much. Who knows? Yeah, I think that there's a little bit of that going on. But listen, to to give them the benefit of the doubt, they might have some evidence that something may have happened right. with the shoe. Maybe there's something that players are doing with shoes right. to make them looser, because uh, you know Nikes are narrow. So there may have been something that the player have done that had did to to screw with the shoe. I just don't think he did, but it's possible. All right, we've gone everywhere from space travel to uh, to sneakers and everything in between, including a comment about Amazon. A very successful uh, conversation with Jake Novak. Jake, thank you so much. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and thanks for joining us. You too. Thank you. Jake Novak, Novak Now on the Nahum Siegel Network, 11 a.m. every single Monday, Eastern Time here at the Nahum Siegel Network. And, of course, he's down there at Cape Canaveral for one of the most significant scientific achievements in the history of the State of Israel and that, of course, is the uh, brace sheet launch that took place last night as we watched along. He was there looking at it uh, live and in person, which is amazing. We watched along and took tremendous pride in Nachas, to say the least. More coming up. It's Friday at JM in the AM.